Well, good morning, everyone. And we are picking up in Leviticus chapter 19, if you want to turn there. And just a reminder that after the second service, we're having a spaghetti dinner for our youth, and there's a youth conference uh, that's coming up. And so we'd like to be able to supplement the cost for some of our young people. And it's uh, $5 a person, and if you have a family of four or more, it's $20. So any of you with families of six, seven, eight, it's a good deal for you. Father, we come before you in Jesus' name, and we are so thankful for the fact that you have given us your Holy Spirit. You have not left us alone as orphans, but you have filled us to overflowing with the spirit of love, your love, Lord that we might be able to take that love and spread it around. And so I ask, Heavenly Father, as we break open these portions of Scripture, that it would encourage us, speak to us, and direct us, Lord, that our feet might walk exactly where you want them to go, and that we would be doing exactly what you desire us to do. I pray, Father, that we would come to understand that it's not about religion, it's about relationship. It's not about do's and don'ts. It's about love. And so, Father, come and anoint and use me to minister to and speak to these, your precious people, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. You know, uh, Thursday, Vi and I went to uh, the New Hope Family Service Banquet that they had uh, at Driver's Village. And their keynote speaker was, uh, well, a young woman to me. I don't know how old she was, maybe 40. (laughs) She was young to me. And um, she was an attorney who's actually argued cases against the Supreme Court and uh, quite a well-qualified young woman. And I'm not going to get into the, the whole thing she shared, but the bottom line is this. And she said, make no mistake about it. The government is trying to stamp out Christianity. When they pass laws, they pass them in order to inhibit anyone from sharing their faith. You know, whether it be the guy who refused to bake a cake for same-sex couples or in the state of California, their clinics, their, their New Hope clinics, you know, their Christian-based, faith-based clinics had to have a big sign in the window saying that you could get an abortion for free by the state. They had to have that in their window. And they were just trying to, to stamp it out. But anyway, they argued it before the Supreme Court, and actually a liberal justice is the one who made the final decision in in their favor. In other words, they said, no, though that wouldn't be required. And his whole point was that he sees that as a concerted effort to stamp out a faith, to stamp out a belief system. And the thing we have to understand, that is and always has been Satan's desire. And the only thing that stands between Satan having victory over this world is you and I filled with the Holy Spirit. We're the ones who are able to stand that gap between complete immorality and satanic you know, endeavors and the truth. And so while we are still in this world, we are to be a lamp. And we're to be a bright lamp. We're to be the fragrance of Christ. And so, as believers, you might think, well, I'm just one person. Well, just think a stone wall is made up of individual stones. You take one stone out, the wall's weakened. And the Christian family is made up of individual believers. 
and you are so important. You might not think that you have that great a job to do, but every little light you shine, wherever you might be, every little thing you say for the gospel of Jesus Christ is doing an effective work. And so as we look into this portion, I, I think it relates to what we're going to be talking about, I think it's going to encourage us and even all the more to be holy as he is holy. Now, there is a form of holiness, a perfect holiness, that only God possesses. We all know that, an absolute perfect holiness, because holiness is his very nature. But there is a holiness that we as believers are called to strive to. It is believing and striving to obey his commands because all of his commands are good. All of his commands are true. And the best thing for our life is to be obedient to him. And so we have to understand that it's our testimony that is in complete agreement with God and our endeavor and desire to live according to his word, that's what constitute, constitutes holiness. You and I will never, ever in this life be able to achieve perfect holiness. Only Jesus was perfect. But we can strive after being in fellowship with God. We can strive after being in fellowship with other believers. We can strive after what's called individual holiness, being obedient to his word. You know, in 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 22, and um, remember Saul disobeyed God by trying to offer a sacrifice when it was only, it was only Samuel who should have offered the sacrifice to the Lord. But he wanted to do things his way, thinking it was the best. And when Samuel came, Samuel rebuked King Saul with these words in 1 Samuel 15, 22. He says, Behold, and whenever you see behold in, in the Bible, especially in the King James or New King James, they use the term behold. The American Standard does as well. It means pay attention. It's not just behold. It's behold. I mean, it has that kind of an, an intense meaning. Behold. To obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed than the fat of lambs. So the best thing we can do is to be obedient to the word of God. And we always have to remember, he, the Lord, always has our best interest at heart. The Lord doesn't give us commands to make life tough for him. You know what, I've got a command I'm going to throw out there. That will really make it difficult. Every command he gives is for our benefit. It's for our well-being, for our encouragement. So I'm doing Leviticus, picking up Leviticus chapter 19 and verses 1 through 8. 19 verses 1 through 8. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to all the congregation of the children of Israel and say to them, You shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. Every one of you shall revere his father and his mother and keep my Sabbath. I am the Lord your God. Do not turn to idols, nor make for yourselves molded gods. I am the Lord your God. Notice how many times he says, I am the Lord your God. <clears throat> Excuse me. And if you offer a sacrifice or a peace offering to the Lord, you shall offer it of your own free will, not force, not someone that you feel obligated you know, to do, something you feel obligated to do or people are pushing you to do. Of your own free will, you make this offering. It shall be eaten the same day you offer it, and on the next day. 
And if any remains until the third day, it shall be burned in fire. And if it is eaten at all on the third day, listen, it is an abomination. It shall not be accepted. Therefore, everyone who eats it shall bear his iniquity, because he has profaned the hallowed offering of the Lord, and that person shall be cut off from the people. Wow. Pretty serious portion of Scripture. Excuse me, I'd like you to turn to 1 Peter. We're going to compare something here. 1 Peter chapter 1. And we'll be picking up in verse 13. 1 Peter chapter 1 and picking up in verse 13. First Peter 1 Peter 1.13. Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind. That's interesting. In other words, we, our mind is a battlefield. We have to gird it up. Be sober and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, not conforming yourselves to the former lusts, as in your ignorance... But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. And then in verse 16, he's quoting this portion of Leviticus we just read. Because it is written, be holy, for I am holy. Holiness has always been the Lord's plan for his people. In, in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4, it says, Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. Notice it says before him in love, because you and I cannot attain in this life to absolute perfection, to absolute perfect holiness. But it's our love for him and our desire to be obedient to him and recognizing his love for us that allows us to seek after him with all of our heart and to have what some people call personal holiness. I desire to serve the Lord. You know, the thing we have to understand is the law demanded and demands what it's not capable of giving. The law demands perfect holiness, and it can't give it because no man can attain to perfect holiness, only one. Jesus Christ came into the world not to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. He was the only one who fulfilled it perfectly. But yet you and I can have what is called a Christian perfection or a personal holiness where our desire is to follow the Lord, is to obey his word, to follow after his commands. Because we have to understand God has given us grace. And you know what grace is? I can start over again. I've blown it. I've made a mistake. I can start over again. You've heard me share a verse that I love you know, from Proverbs. Though a righteous man... Notice it says righteous, though a righteous man falls seven times, he rises again, but the wicked fall by calamity. So the point is that what, what does it mean to be righteous? What does it mean to be holy? You get back up. You fell, you made a mistake, you tripped, you're down on the ground, you get back up. Falling can be embarrassing, but the fact is you get back up. A little funny quip. Uh, you know, we have an adult dinner night out uh, once a month. And one time we were going to a place in downtown Syracuse. 
And uh, I was walking across the road. It was kind of at night. And I stepped into a pothole and I fell. And you know when you're getting old. Because when you're young and you fall, everybody laughs. Oh, look, he fell, you know. When you're old and you fall, everybody's like, ah! You know, ah! It was funny, too. This guy rode by on a bicycle just as I fell. And he goes, sue him! <laughs> but the point is, it was embarrassing, and I could have just stayed down there. But I got back up. I was really looking forward to that pizza. But anyway, I got back up, and we, we moved on. And that's the point. When you fall, it can be very embarrassing. It can be humiliating, even if you're the only one who knows about it. It's embarrassing and humiliating to yourself. How could I have done that? But the Word of God is telling us to get back up. That's what holiness is. You don't stay wallowing around in the mud. You get back up. I would dare say every single one of us, and I mean myself as well, have had those times where we feel so far from the Lord where we feel like, oh my word, how did I get to this place? I feel so discouraged. I feel like that's when we really need to cry out and call out to the Lord. And you know what the cry is? It's very simple. Jesus, help me. And he will. I don't know how many of you have ever um, read the allegory, Hind's Feet in High Places, and it's taken from Ecclesiastes. It's a missionary who wrote the book. And uh, it's an allegory about much afraid, and she's trying to learn to have hinds feet to be a, a good Christian. And uh, after she got saved, he taught her that whenever you're in trouble, just call out my name. And so she'd be under all kinds of attack, and she would say, Shepherd, help me. And instantly, instantly, instantly he was there. All we have to cry out is, Shepherd, help me. Jesus, help me. And he'll be there. So understand, holiness is not the fact that you never make a mistake. Holiness is the fact that you are seeking after Jesus and you get back up. And you follow on on that path. Let's look at what the New Testament tells us in 1 Corinthians. And I'm going to read from 1 Corinthians 10 and 2 Corinthians 5. First Corinthians 1 Corinthians 1. First, First Corinthians 10.31. Therefore, whatever you eat or drink, whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. The point that's being made here is whatever you're doing, do it to the glory of God. And remember when Peter was up on the roof praying and a sheet came down from heaven and it had all kinds of unclean things in it? And a voice from heaven, God said to him, Peter, take and eat. And Peter, and this wasn't the first time he said this, and it's an oxymoron. He said, not so, Lord. There's only one thing you say to the Lord. Yes, Lord, yes. But he said, not so, Lord. And remember when Jesus said he was going to go and be crucified? Not so, Lord. And Jesus said to him, get behind me, Satan. Wow. But anyway, so then... Three times the sheep came down from heaven and said, take, kill, and eat. And three times Peter said, not so, Lord. And then finally the voice from heaven said, what I have declared clean is clean. Whatever we do, if we're doing it unto the Lord, it's clean. So if you go home today and you have a pork roast, it's totally okay. It's, it's, it's clean before the Lord. 
But the point I'm getting at is not every, every single person's lifestyle is exactly the same. Not every single person has the freedom or feels freedom to do this or that. Just as long as it's not compl- against God's word and you have the liberty from Jesus, it's clean to you. You follow what I'm saying? But that's how religion develops, where you start having all these attitudes. You know, for instance, there are uh, some, some denominations, if you're a man and you don't have your top button, all you guys don't have the top button in your, vert, in your, in your shirt button, you're not holy. Uh, no, no, it's not Baptist. It's another group I'm talking about. I actually, I used to be part of it. But anyway, uh, you're not holy. In other words, they would come, like for instance, if you're a woman in this one denomination that I'm thinking of, if you're a woman, you can wear stockings, but it has to have a seam in it. You can never cut your hair if you're a woman. The point I'm getting at, all man-made rules and regulations. And they will, will not only weigh you down, but it distracts you from what it really means to follow Jesus. You can run hard after Jesus. You know, uh, the Billy Graham crusade, um, remember they used to sing that song, Just As I Am Without One Plea? Jesus takes you just as you are. Now, he doesn't leave you there, but he takes you just as you are. We need to allow him to do the work in us, and that is holiness. And then in uh, 2 Corinthians 5.17, it says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And to be a new creation is not something that we work up. It's a miracle of God. It's being born again. Like when a baby is born, you know, Jen has the privilege of delivering babies. That, I mean, nothing more beautiful. And, ah, a new life. A new life. When you're born again, you have to understand it's just as much of a miracle. A new life. You're born again. You are a new creation in Jesus Christ. Your old's gone. Now, just like a baby has to be trained and encouraged, the Bible talks about it. We start off with milk. We start off with then baby food. And then finally we have you know, the meat of the word. But we need to be encouraged to grow in the Lord. And if we make a mistake... That's where God's grace comes in. Otherwise, we couldn't keep growing. Now, how do you know if you're a new creation? Okay. Galatians. Turn to that with me. Chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5. And we're picking up with verse 22. Galatians 5.22. Galatians 5.22 through 26 we're going to be reading. Starting with Galatians 5.22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. And those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us walk in the Spirit. Let us not become conceited provoking one another, envying one another. So this makes it very clear what it means to walk in the Spirit. And once again, we're not talking about perfection, but we're talking about where your heart is. You know, it is a heart of, of love, of joy, of peace, of long-suffering, of kindness, of goodness, and, and faithfulness. That's what the Lord desires of us. 
This one thing the Lord has desired of us. And that's what he desires of us. And so we as believers, knowing that he has our best good in mind at heart, we need to seek after these things without envying one another, without not judging one another. By the same measure you judge others, you shall be judged. Scripture tells us. So we have to realize it's not a matter of do's and don'ts. It's not a matter of legalism. It's always a matter of love. It's not a matter of law. It's a matter of grace. Always in our walk with the Lord. Because the very thing that the law provided was the knowledge of the fact that we're guilty. The law proves we're guilty. But the reality is we have an advocate in Jesus Christ who paid the full price of the penalty of the law, which is death, on our behalf and has administered grace to us that we might walk in all grace. Now, we have to ask ourselves, do we have this fruit of the Spirit? You know, we just looked at, looked at the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Do we have this fruit of the Spirit? Or at least is the blossom there somewhere? Do we have that? Because if we're born again of the Spirit, then the fruit of the Spirit should be becoming evident in everything that we do. But we have to realize that the fruit of the Spirit can only come to those who are abiding in Christ. And we have an example that Jesus gave in the Gospel of John, chapter 15, verse uh, 5, Jesus said this. He said, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. <clears throat> you know, some of you might have grape barbers at your house or whatever. And if you take a branch of that vine and you cut it off and throw it in the ground, you're not going to say, okay, start bearing fruit. Because all it's, all it's going to do is wither and die. It has to remain in the vine in order to receive the nutrients and everything that is necessary for it to blossom and eventually for you know, new grapes to develop. So if we're not abiding in Christ, it's impossible for us to produce fruit. But if we abide in him, it's impossible for us not to produce fruit. For instance, you can go to an apple orchard... <clears throat> and if you had an, a rebellious branch that was connected to the tree, that branch could say, if this is anthropomorphism, you know, it's not real. But that branch could say, I'm not going to bear any apples. I'm not going to bear any apples. It'll bear apples because it's abiding in the apple tree. I mean, no believer is actually going to say, I don't want to produce fruit. But the point I'm getting is it's natural. It is the work of the vine, not the branch that produces the fruit. So it's not something that you can work up. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be legalistic, and I'm going to do this and religious and do that, and I'm going to prove it to everyone that I have the fruit of the Spirit. No, no, you can't do it because it will fail you. But if you just abide in Jesus, Jesus, I love you. Lord, I just want to be yours. I want to do whatever you want me to do. I want to go wherever you want me to go. Lord, just, just have fellowship with me. The fruit is naturally going to develop and come forth. And we have to understand, too, the fruit of the Spirit can only come to those who are humble before the Lord. And to be humble before the Lord is not some grave secret or some difficult thing to figure out. 
Here's what it means to be humble before the Lord. I can't. He can. I'm a sinner. He's holy. All of my righteous acts are filthy rags. Isn't that what Scripture says? All of man's righteous acts are filthy rags before the Lord. But he washes me clean with his blood, with his holiness. So we have to understand to be holy is to be absolutely surrendered to the Lord. And one of the things that I think people make a mistake on is this. They think the fruit of the Spirit would be souls being saved. No. Only Jesus Christ can save souls. The fruit of the Spirit that we have is the aroma of Christ, is the fruit of God in us. And that will lead people to a place where they're interested in the things of God and where they themselves might cry out to Jesus for salvation. But only the Lord saves. You know, I don't go up to people and say, you know, I saved 25 people last year. They should say to me, do you think you're God? I might say I was able to introduce people to Christ. I was able to lead people to the knowledge of Christ. But I can't save anyone. Only God can save. You know, we sing that song, Jesus saves, Jesus saves. Only he can save. And yet we're called to be his ambassadors. Now, it's interesting in this portion because it talks about revering mother and father and also the Sabbath. And what's interesting is that it puts it together. He's talking about, you know, being uh, obedient to be holy. He's talking about being holy. He's talking about the Sabbath and also being obedient to parents. Well, the thing we have to understand, this is why being a good parent is so important. And let me just give you a little clue here. No parent is perfect. No parent is. But it doesn't take away from being a good parent. You know what a good parent is? I love my children. I want what's best for them. And I'm going to do everything I can to show them the way of Christ. I want to be a Christ example for them. I want to love them and encourage them and be behind them in whatever they're doing. That's the kind of love that we need to have for our children. And if a parent has that kind of love... Jesus is telling us that's an example. You know, if you can love your parents who stood behind you and encouraged you and and gave you the things that you needed, the nutrients and so forth, how much more should you love me? How much more should you love the Sabbath? You know, when we think of the Sabbath, it's not a holy day of obligation. By golly, you better be in church every Sunday. You're committing a mortal sin and you're going to go to hell, at least purgatory. You know, we can't do that. The Sabbath is a gift from God. I don't come to church because I have to. I come to church because I want to. And it's not just because I'm the pastor. I felt that way before the Lord called me into the ministry, which is so far back I can't remember. But anyway, I've always felt that way. I want to be with God's people. And that's why it talks about honoring the Sabbath, because the very purpose of the Sabbath is to be in fellowship with the Lord. You know, the worship team comes up and we sing in unison together. We're worshiping God together. It's so beautiful. And then hopefully the pastor is breaking open the word in such a way that it ministers to our heart. That's what the Sabbath is all about. Now, um, what does it mean in this portion when it's talking about 
when you offer a sacrifice. It has to be free will. It has to be from your heart first. And you can eat it the first day. You can eat it the second day. But if you eat it the third day, it's an abomination. You need to get rid of it. You need to, you know, you don't eat it the third day. Well, what it's talking about here, because it's related to the Sabbath and to worship, our worship has to be fresh, brothers and sisters. Have you ever heard people say, you know, back in 1905 when I was first saved and I did this and I did that, or people say, last year I was at this conference and I was worshiping God. Guess what? It's an abomination to him now. You can't live on yesterday's worship. Your worship has to be fresh every day. His mercies are new every morning. Our worship should be new every morning. I'm thankful for Jesus every day. Thank you, Jesus, for saving this wretched soul of mine. Thank you, Lord. It's not a past tense. It's a present tense. That's the kind of worship we need to have. It needs to be new. Now, I have found that when I try to stand on old worship, I end up getting discouraged. I end up tripping up. I end up getting a bad attitude. I don't know, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but I'll raise mine. Have you ever had a bad attitude? Have you ever had one of those times where you think, I don't know, God, I'm not worthy, I don't know why. Well, he already knows you're not worthy, and he's the one who's providing everything anyway. But it's a matter of just having new worship. It's an amazing thing that you could be, you know, down in the pit, but you start worshiping the Lord, and how quickly you'll come up out of that pit. Start reading his word. I can't encourage you enough, brothers and sisters, how important it is to get into the word of God. If the only time you're looking at the word of God is when you come to church, that's not enough. The only time you're looking at the word of God is because you have some kind of a pep talk to get into the word of God like I'm doing right now. That's not enough. You want to get into the Word of God because it is the Word of God. Have you ever read the Bible and you're thinking, wow, wow, right here is the answer to my problem. Right here is the direction that I need for my life. The Word of God is awesome. It even is able to discern between the thoughts and intents of the heart. How amazing is that? I can't even do that. But the Word of God can. And so I encourage you, worship the Lord. Fresh every day. Be into his word. Praise him. Spend time in prayer. And don't forget to come to church. It's a time that we gather together for no other reason than to collectively worship the Lord and to praise his name. Father, I come before you in Jesus' name, and I thank you so much for your word and for the gift of worship, for the gift of of your Holy Spirit. And I pray, Father, that as new creations, we would live as new creations. And so, Lord, help us to take this portion of Leviticus and recognize that there is a holiness that we can strive after, a holiness that comes from grace and mercy. And I pray, Father, that you would work this in our heart, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. You know, uh, we have communion once a month, and one of the things that's wonderful about communion is the fact that it's a sacrament. There's only two sacraments for New Testament believers. You know, we're not obligated to all of the law. You know, we've been freed from that, but there are two sacraments. And in order for something to be a sacrament, it had to have been instituted by Jesus Christ 
and participated in by Jesus Christ. Two things Jesus you know, participated in and taught all believers to do was baptism. And so after you're saved, after you're born again, after you're a new creation in Christ, it's important to have an opportunity to give public testimony. And in Romans it talks about going under the waters like dying to self and coming up is testifying you're a new creation. The other sacrament that Jesus gave was communion at the Lord's table. He said, as often as you eat of this bread and drink this cup, do it in remembrance of me. And so a sacrament is something that Jesus Christ instituted for us as a reminder of his love. And when we participate in this sacrament in remembrance of him, what we're doing is saying, Lord, I know it's you. It has nothing to do with me. I couldn't work. I couldn't. There's no way I could ever achieve even a, a small fraction of my salvation. You did it all. You paid the full price. My blood is guilty. You were innocent. And yet you hung on that tree and you bled and you died so that my sins might be forgiven. And then not only did you die for my sin, but you rose again. That your sacrifice is a living sacrifice. And that in you, I am a living sacrifice before God. I belong to him. I'm Jesus. I'm his possession. And so, we're told in Corinthians, whenever we eat of this bread and drink of this cup, we're proclaiming the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. His death and resurrection is the central theme of our faith. Our sins have been forgiven, and they're eternally forgiven in his resurrection. And one day you and I shall be caught up together to meet the Lord in the air, and there we shall be with him forevermore. What a beautiful promise that is. And so as we pass out the um, unleavened bread, I almost was afraid to catch this on fire, and then I forgot it's fake. But you know, on the night he was betrayed, Jesus took unleavened bread, and it was that, that whole week of Passover is called the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And the reason unleavened bread was used is leaven represents sin. So unleavened bread represents sin being removed. In fact, uh, during the Seder, when the Jews are preparing for uh, the Passover dinner, they actually go through the house with feathers trying to sweep up any, any breadcrumbs, anything that would have leaven in it. And it's representative of allowing the Holy Spirit sweep sin from our heart and lives. And that's why Jesus, when he took the unleavened bread, he said, this represents my body. It's broken for you. Do you understand? He did it for you. He did it all for you and for me. What a blessing. And so we're going to pass out the elements, and we take them together, and so we'll wait until everyone receives it, and then we'll um, take it together. So brothers... funny we went into the uh, Wegmans in James Street and asked for matzah and they didn't know what we were talking about we went to the Wegmans in DeWitt and asked for matzah and they sh showed us right where it was
you have been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. No sin shall be accounted to you. Jesus took it all. And therefore, take and eat and drink and be so thankful to your God. Thank you, Jesus, for the sacrament and the reminder that it is. And I pray, Lord, that you would cause us to leave this place seeking after your righteousness and holiness, that we might be your witness everywhere we go, spreading the fragrance of Christ. And I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you, my friends.